Hebrews chapter number 10. Last time, last week, we started a little series here on how to enjoy the Bible. And uh, we began that by talking about four key fundamentals, four fundamental keys to, to reading, to studying, to enjoying the Scriptures, the Bible. And uh, again, it, it is, when you think about these four keys, that's just kind of the foundational points. The first one is the student. And the student is someone who has the confidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the main teacher of the Word of God. It's how God has set up to, to be the teacher. And again, how do I get the Spirit? Well, it's by trusting the gospel, believing in the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He's my, I'm a sinner, Ephesians 1.13. I hear the gospel, I'm a sinner, he's my Savior, and I trusted him. I've committed my life into his hands. That the issue of believing, the issue of trusting is that thing in Timothy where he says, unto him we've committed this unto that day. Commitment. I've committed into his hands. If, if he comes up one day and says, why should I let you into my heaven? It's because I committed my life into your hands because you said so. <laughs> you know. And if you're not going to let me in, then you're a liar, liar, pants on fire. And what's the deal? So the, the thing of it is, is how do I get the Holy Spirit? It's believing the gospel. And then he, we saw the issue of the scripture. So student scripture. And where we have to have the word of God, and we have to have, and we have to have the confidence that we have God's word in our English, in our English, in our language today, the English language, and we do in a King James Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. And again, we're just jumping in. It's a quote out of Psalms 40. He says, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. This is why we have to have the confidence that we have the word of God. Because the volume of the book is about who? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's who he's, that's what the, so if my book, my Bible, my scripture dilutes from him, denies him, destroys him, breaks him down, makes him just another good guy then it's the wrong Bible. If my Bible comes along and says, well, this shouldn't be here because of, you know, whatever, then maybe I'm in the wrong book. And maybe I need to find a book that's going to come along and is going to promote the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that this is important, and this is kind of where we left off last time, come back with me to Nehemiah, okay? So Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. I know you guys should know this, right? You read Nehemiah all the time. I know you do. Look at Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah 9 and verse 5. And, and again, we've, we looked at inspiration and preservation. Inspiration, God spoke the word. That instantly demands that he's going to preserve it, and he's promised to preserve it, so he preserves his word. Now, look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse number 5. You know, the, you know the smallest man in the Bible is, right? Jeremiah, because he slept on his watch? Oh, boom, okay. <laughs> or, you know, who'd never had uh, uh, no parents, right? Joshua, the son of none? Okay, you know, boom, all right. Come on, guys, it's only Sunday morning, okay? All right. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. Thank you. Okay, you know, Nehi, Nehi, Nehi Maya. Look at 9.5. Look at the end of the verse. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. Where's God's name? It's blessed above all, isn't it? All of it. Everything. I, his name is blessed above all. Now come over to Psalms 138. This is why the scripture is important. Psalms 138. Psalms 138 and verse number 1. Psalms 138 and verse number 1. Psalms 138 and verse number 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will praise towards thy holy temple. I will praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word 
above all thy name. Think about that. What was Nehemiah says, we're going to bless your name above everything. And then David says, you know what? I bless, you, you want your word to be blessed above what? Your name. That's why this is important. In Psalms 19, he talks about the perfect word, the perfect word of the Lord. See, the law of the Lord is perfect. The perfect word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it's the word that works in you that believe. So it's important. And what that's going to do when you, have, when you take the word, we've got his word, that's going to bring us into the third key. And that's the study issue. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. It's the study. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Now, we're going to use this verse a lot, so you might as well memorize it if you don't have it memorized already, okay? 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The study. Now, that's the only verse in Scripture, all Scripture, that tells you to study the Word of God and then tells you how to do it. So this is going to be a key verse as we move forward. But it's a very interesting word. Notice it doesn't say read. It says study. Even when, Timothy is, when Paul tells Timothy to give attendance to reading, that's more than just reading three chapters a day. That's being a well-read individual. The Apostle Paul was. If he can stand there and debate out the Epicureans and the Stoics, and he can, cre uh, he can quote the Greek poets to them, their own poetry, that means he's well-read. Okay? The problem is, is we start reading, and then we start believing what we're reading about. Rather than taking our final authority as the Word of God, and what we're reading, we're going to judge by that standard, and that standard says this, and what I'm reading is just to know. When I moved here 30-something, a little over 30 years ago, I knew nothing about the Mormons, the Latter-day Saints. I knew nothing about what they believed. So you know what I did? I went to the library, and I read about them, and I began to look into what they believed. Now, I didn't need to know everything. You know what I needed to know? How they get to heaven. Guess how they get to heaven? A works gospel. So guess what I know they are? They're lost, they're sinners, and they're on their way to hell. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know about the signs and the boogeymans and all that stuff. I watch the videos. I got the video. The v I have VHS tapes on the Mormons and what's wrong with them. And all. I didn't need all that. What did I need to know? How are you getting to heaven? Because they have a works gospel, so now I know how to deal with them. So when the boys knocked on the door, and they're like, well, I'm Bishop so-and-so, and Bishop so-and-so. I said, well, I'm Bishop Rick. Nice to meet you. you know? And they're like, what? I go, well, okay, here we go. And you know what the first thing I do? I asked the kid, how do you get to heaven? And he went right into and I said, I can't do that. I fail at every turn. I can't do that. Well, then you got to get prayed. I, can't, I, can't, I don't have anybody to pray for me. Nobody likes me. Then the poor guy goes, well, I'll pray for you. I go, you better do more than praying for me. You know? And then I give them the gospel, and you know what they did? They hopped on their little bikes and rolled away. And they put an X on our house on their list. They, I'm, you know, folks, you can be well-read. That's not studying. You see, you, you, can, you can get some knowledge from just reading the Scriptures. But to really understand it, to really grasp it, you have to study it. That's why I said last time, what? Most people, when you talk about studying the Word, they think you need a commentary, and you need dictionaries, and you need a Greek and a Hebrew, and you need this and this. And the only thing you really need is the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. And you need the Scriptures, obviously, if that's what you're studying. You can study it, but studying is where you think about it, where you begin to meditate about it, where you begin to look into it. And you begin to, you begin to move it from the pages into your inner man, into your thinking because your Christian life will not operate on the basis of ignorance. It doesn't work that way. When you trusted, remember, you heard the word, the gospel of your, of your salvation. You hear the gospel. Hearing, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You hear it. You believe. You, you looked into it. This guy, I, I, can, I, mean, I can still remember that poor kid. White shirt. And I was elbows up grease and the changing the, the valve covers off my old pickup truck. And 
And he's like, well, I'll help you. And I said, no, you're not. Your mama's going to kill me with that white shirt. You just stay right there and talk to me. And I'm, I got grease, and I'm doing this and that. And he comes in, and he's like, what? And he's just giving me the works. And I'm like, I can't do it, I can't do it. And I said, so you mean, you know, blah, 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 back and forth. And you know what? He never heard a word I said. See? That's not study. Oh, we have great studies, he would say. No, you have lecture time. You have... See, your Christian life will not operate on the basis of ignorance. How do you know you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? Because you've got a verse that tells you that. How do you know that you're complete in him who is the head of all principality and power? Because you've got a verse that says that. How do you know your sins are forgiven? I've got a verse that tells me that. How do you know? How do I know this? I have a verse that tells me because I've studied it. Understanding God's word comes from getting into it. And studying it. That's why for over 20, almost 25 years, actually next year, 25 years, what have we been doing here? Studying the Word. What saith the Scripture? I, I got a lot of opinions. More than two, by the way. You know what they say about opinions. Everybody has at least two. They're like armpits and they stink. You know, and I have more than that. I, you don't care about my opinion. I don't care about yours. Well, how how what rude. No, I don't. I care about what the Word of God says. Now, I will listen to your opinion and go, man, what a nut job. <laughs> okay, woo-hoo-hoo, you know. But that's my opinion of your opinion. See, now we're in the la-la land. We're in the imaginations. No, here's the truth. So when you come into the studying and you're going to understand God's Word, so we start with the student. We, we have the Scripture. Now we're going to have the study. you got three questions that you're going to ask when you study God's Word. Okay? Three golden questions to Bible understanding. That, that sounds good, doesn't it? Number one, who? Brilliant. Who is speaking? Who's talking? In Genesis chapter 3... Satan looks at Eve and says, as soon as you eat that fruit, you will not die. And God knows it. Who was speaking to Eve? Satan was. In Genesis 2, what did God say to Adam and Eve? If you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. It would be important to know who's speaking. It would be critical. Come over to Romans 11. Romans chapter 11. I lost my little handout. There we go. Make sure I'm giving you the ones I give you. Look at Romans 11, verse 13. Romans 11, 13. So who's speaking? That's number one. What does Paul say here? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. The writer of the book of Romans, Paul, what, who does he say? I'm speaking to who? You Gentiles. So when I read Paul, who, am I, who who's he talking to? Who? I'm, he's talking to me. See. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, if you, think, if you want to be spiritual or a prophet, you're going to acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. It's, it's important to know who's talking. Who's speaking? Okay, come over to James chapter 1. Second one is to whom are they talking to? Who's the people? That was a bad people. Who's the people? Who's the group? Who's the audience? To whom are we speaking to? Who are the words written or spoken to? Look at James 1.1. This is a great, I love this verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the church, the body of Christ. So who's speaking? James, and who's he talking to? To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So then we run over there to chapter 2, and we got a faith that's got to go to work. And, oh, look, you got to have faith in works. He's talking to you. And James says, no, I'm not. James 2 isn't written to the church, the body of Christ. It's written to who? To 12 tribes scattered abroad. See how that verse helps you? Just saves some confusion. So whom? Who's the audience? You come over to Ephesians 1. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. Who's the us? The church, the body of Christ. With all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, he's not talking, Ephesians 1, 3 is not talking to Israel. It's talking to who? Church, the body of Christ. James 1, 1 is talking to who? Israel, not the church, the body of Christ. So who and whom? And then you've got number three, and this one's always the one that gets everybody in it. It's, it's when was it written? Who, what, where, when, why, all that? No, we're going to go, when was the word spoken? And this is, this is in very important. Get Matthew 10, Mark 15, and Luke 16. Mark, we're going to go to Matthew 10 first. Just do one at a, get Matthew 10 and get Mark 16. Last, book, last chapter of Mark and Mark 10, Matthew 10. Matthew 10, Mark 16. The when can trip you up. The when needs to be on the board. So who, who's speaking? In Matthew 10, who's speaking? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who's he talking to? The 12 apostles. Okay? And he says to the 12 in verse 5, These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, This is not to you, it's to who? The 12 apostles. Now that's brilliant. All right, I'll send you my speaking fee. Go... Not in the way of the Gentiles and in any city of the Samaritans, enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where are they to go? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Where are they not to go? The Gentiles and the Samaritans. Right? Early men, earthly ministry of Christ at the very beginning. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 15. Matthew 16. I'm sorry, Mark 16, 15. Thank you for the head shake and the, the confused look. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, all right, who's the them? Verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat. Who's he talking to? To the 12, he's talking to the, the 12 apostles. 11 here, because Matthias hasn't been uh, acknowledged yet, but yet he is there in the room. So wait a minute. Matthew 10, he's speaking to the 12 in the beginning, and he says what? Don't go to the Gentiles and Samaritans, but go over here to the, Gent uh, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now look at verse 15. And he said unto them, all right, well, where are we? When, when does he say this to them? Well, verse, seven, verse 19, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. We're, at, we're after the resurrection. We're three and a half years later. Now look at verse 15 and see what he told them to go do. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, is that different than Matthew 10's message? Oh, yeah, it is. What has happened? We've got three and a half years of in between those two messages, those two commands, those two commissions, if you like the commission word. You see, by the way, Matthew 10 is the Great Commission. Mark 16, Matthew 28, Luke 24, Acts 1, John 20 are subsequent uh, after the resurrection information. They're not a, they're not a the Great Commission. The, 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 that term, the Great Commission, came about in the 1800s when missionaries in Africa and the Philippines and over there tried to raise money out of Britain and the Americas, so they had to come up with something to get the Christians to give them money. So they came up with the Great Commission, and they used Mark 16, 15 as their head verse because we're going out there preaching the gospel. I'm not against missions or anything, but let's don't use Mark 16. Let's use, let's use a Pauline verse, okay? The point is, uh, by the way, the Pauline verses are 2 Corinthians 5 about being an ambassadors for Christ and having that word of reconciliation and going out to the world. My point is, is it's important to know something. Matthew 10 happened three years here. Mark 16, 15 happened three years later. Different messages, same group of people, different part of their message. Okay, you follow that? You see? It's important to understand not just who and whom, but when. 
When did the Lord tell the 12 or the apostles and the little flock to go into the preached into the world? See? It's important. He tells them there. Now, they're not going to get to do it until the kingdom and so forth, and that's because you and I interrupted it. <laughs> we put a woohoo, a screeching halt to it. Okay? Now, come over to Luke 16. Luke 16. Give you one more. These are fun. By the way, we're in Mark 16 in our Wednesday nights and having a blast. We're stuck in one verse right now. <laughs> we're having a blast going slow. Look at Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Isn't that an interesting thing? There's a, t- there's a wind there. Now, the law and the prophets didn't stop when John the Baptist showed up because the Lord says, Matthew 5, I came to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law. Galatians 4 tells us he was made, under, made of a woman, made under the law. He didn't, what's the focus? The focus of the law and the prophets was a prophesied kingdom and a Messiah come and bring in the kingdom in. And when John the Baptist showed up as the crier in the wilderness of who's here, Messiah's here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. See, the wind, this stuff helps who, whom, and when. Who's the audience? Who, who are we talking to? So these three golden questions to Bible understanding are critical when you're reading, when you're studying. Come over to Nehemiah. Go back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8. Because what that does is that now leads us into three Guiding principles in our study. Nehemiah. So we got who, to whom, and when. Now we're going to have three guiding principles in our study that we need to have on the page. The first one is a literal methodology approach to the Word of God. Nehemiah 8 and verse 8. That literal method, the literal principle, when the normal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. (laughs) You know what? You ought to do the Bible a favor when you read it. And you ought to read it like you read every other piece of literature. And when you read other literature, what do you do? When they use a figure of speech, you identify it as a what? Figure of speech. When you use a metaphor, you def- a metaphor. Wow, look at that. Instead, you know what you do? You spiritualize it. You say, oh, no, it can't be Israel. It's really got to be body. That's the reform idea. Well, it can't really do this. It's got to be this. It's gotta- no, just read it. Look at Nehemiah 8.8. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. That's the literal method. It means what it says, and it says what it means. We're going to use common sense. We're going to, when the normal sense makes sense, we seek no other sense. Come over to John 1. Just let me illustrate this for you. John 1. So the literal, uh, the literal approach, the literal method of study is very critical. Look at John 1, verse 29. Here's John the Baptist. He's baptizing the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, when he said that, does he mean a four-legged animal over there all white, bushied up and wooled up? Or is he talking about, again, a figure, a metaphor, a figure of speech that's designed to demonstrate and to illustrate that when the Lord came, he came as that sacrificial lamb, that Passover lamb, that purified lamb. He came to to clearly do and accomplish what needed to be accomplished for Israel as the sin offering, as the trespass offering. You see, the literal method clearly identifies the use of a figure of speech here or a metaphor. He's not literally talking about a animal. Okay? Come over, come over with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And I, I'm going to blow your revelation ideas right out of the water here. 
And I'll do it in one verse. Well, there's a bunch of verses. Revelation 1, verse 19 and 20. I'll do it in two verses. You know, name that tune, two, verse, two, two notes. We're going to do it in two verses. Watch verse 19. The Lord tells John, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. That's why Revelation is so daggum confusing to people. Because how did the Lord tell John to write it? Not in a chronological, logical sense, but to write it as you see it. See that? Now, what do we do? We get the Larkin book out, and we get Baker book out, and we get Newell book out, and, and they go circles and ups and downs and all, and you're like, you're so confused by reading the book. If you just read the way he wrote it, guess what you get? You get it all. That's why that word and is so all through the book. Now, watch verse 20, because now he's going to, so, by the way, verse 19, has seen. It's a written record of the events he saw. Then he says, and the things which are. That's no time here. What they, what, what's going on right there. And then he says, shall be hereafter. That's the next thing, the chronological event. Okay? Now, everybody reads into that stuff. But, again, literal sense, words mean what they were. So we're going to let it be right here. Now, watch verse 20 because he's going to illustrate it for you. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in the right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou seest are the seven... What are those candlesticks? What are the stars? Angels. Any ambiguity. No guessing. Why? Because the, the, fig, the metaphor for the use of the star is to picture out the angels and so forth. You see how the scripture just did that for you? Because we're over here in a literal issue. It says what it says, and it means what it says. There's no guessing. There's no, well, it could be this or it could be this. No, this is what it is. Your Bible, your scripture, the King James Bible, is the greatest book on signs and types ever known to man because it tells you what they are, not what we think they are. This is what they are. You just have to get in there and get out of your own head and believe the verses. The second step, the second, I lost my job. Come over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. The second one is a comparative. We're going to compare verse with verse. 2 Peter 1. We're going to compare Scripture with Scripture. And when you compare Scripture with Scripture, what you're going to do is you're going to allow Scripture to be its best interpreter. You're going to allow Scripture to define itself. And you're going to do that by context. Context is king. I was dealing with a guy about some stuff a couple months ago. And he kept yanking verses out of context. And I kept putting them back. So you can't do that. Wrong context. That's not what he's talking about. He's like, well, in this book, I said, no, that's a book by, written by a guy. And by the way, I have that book. I've read that book. And, and, and I believe in that guy's theory. I just don't believe in, the use of, believe in it in the using those verses. Because he yanked the verses out of context to prove his point. 2 Peter 1.20. 2 Peter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no pro prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, that is not saying you can't interpret it. Okay? What that verse is saying is that you don't take a verse out of, a out of its context and apply it to something else. Okay? The context of the Scripture is the other scripture. Now you have a nearer context, you have a remoter context, you have book context, chapter context. you got to look at what's going on. God's word, allow God's word to interpret itself for you. 
In Hebrews 4, when he talks about the Word of God is powerful, a discerner of the thoughts and intents, that book will let you prove your point all the way to the point of you breaking your foolish neck on it because he's going to slide three other verses in there, trip you up, put you in the mud that you never saw or considered because you were so focused on proving my point rather than let's look at the whole subject the whole way. Come over to Matthew 24. You guys follow what's, what we're at? You see, this, when we talk about how to enjoy the Bible, by the way, this is fun. This is exciting. You can get in. You can look at things. You can study things. You take I, the sons of God. Take that phrase, the sons of God. In Genesis, and according to Job, that's the angelic realm. But then in John 1, he says, hey, I'm going to give power to those who believe me and accepted me to become the sons of God. Now the sons of God have changed. They are the angels, but now who are they? The believing remnant of Israel. And then you go over there in Romans 8 and you find out that you and I are sons of God. So now we're looking at it, and what is creation waiting for? The manifestation of the sons of God. And you're like, manifestation of the angels? No, you goober. The manifestation of Israel on the earth in her place in the kingdom. The manifestation of you and I in the heavenly places. And when that happens, guess where we're at? We're in the new heaven and the new earth. See, you know, that's just, take it literal. Who's, who talked? And just looking around, paying attention, letting the verses define themselves. A text without a context is a pretext. Matthew 24, 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Everybody and the brother loves that verse. Woo! He that endures to the end shall be saved. Well, there's some questions that come up. Saved of what and endure to the end of what? Well, how about the context? Well, how about verse 14? And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So he's going to endure to the end of what? The end of the, yeah, the end, when it comes. But look at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in a holy place, Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Think about the end of what? The end of the 70th week of Daniel. Because what happens at the end of the 70th week of Daniel? God Almighty pours out his wrath. Now, you've got to stay with me. And then he's going to have an inaugurational big old party and a resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the saints that passed in the tribulation and that first resurrection, they're going to go into that millennial kingdom. He's going to set up that kingdom. So think about what verse 13 just said. We're going to endure to the end of what? To the end of the 70th week of Daniel, when the end comes. But I'm going to be saved from what? Not justification unto eternal life, sorry. What's happening in the 70th week? What's God pouring out? Wrath. So salvation in 13 is a physical salvation. It's not a spiritual salvation. Oh, my goodness. See, I just kicked your kingdom right down the street. You're a little idle. But how did you, how did you come to understand it? From the context. See, the context of verse 13 is the end of the 70th week, and the salvation here is a, is a physical salvation into the kingdom. The context makes the sense. And if you take it out and you try to apply it to you and I today, you're in trouble. See. Now, number three is the dispensational principle. 2 Timothy 2.15. The three golden questions bring you into the three guiding principles. 2 Timothy 2.15. When you come to study dispensationally, the dispensational principle, dispensational Bible study, when you do that, what you are beginning to do is to acknowledge the places that God has made distinctions in his scripture. 
You and I are not placing divisions where we think they ought to be. That's trouble. I know guys who do, but that's troubling. I know guys right now who are saying you can rightly divide Paul's epistles and half go here, half there. And you know what ends up having? You end up losing your salvation because they got him over here. And you're over here and you're trying to get something that ain't even yours to get. And it's just confused. No, what do we do? We take God has in his word made divisions. God himself made divisions. And those divisional lines... Verse 215, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Those divisional lines are what we are acknowledging. We are to place the divisions where God has already placed them. Now, Acts 3 and Romans 16. Just notice two verses, Acts chapter 3 and Romans 16. Acts 3.21 and Romans 16.25. And folks, when you hear people bad-mouthing right division or dispensational Bible study, it is because they think what we're doing is we are placing the divisions, and we're not. What are we doing? We're acknowledging the divisions that God himself placed. Follow that? And that's what we have to be very careful that we're doing that. Acts 3, verse 21. Whom the Peter's preaching, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So look, there's some information that God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since when? Since Adam. Adam's a prophet. Adam's a prophet, priest, and king. So God has been speaking one way, hasn't he, since the beginning? He has, yeah. Now Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Wait a minute. Something spoken is different than something kept secret. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to find out where the secret has now been revealed, but now is made manifest, and we're going to draw a line there, see. And we're going to come over here, and we're going to say, okay, that was back here, spoken. He's doing something different now, and when this now ends, he's going to go back because the Scripture tells us he's going to go back and finish that. You see, dispensational Bible study, the principle is acknowledging that while God, God him, while God never changes, Hebrews 13, he never changes, but his dealings with man have changed. And that's what you're acknowledging. That's dispensational Bible study in a very simplistic manner. Because what that does now is that brings us to our fourth fundamental key, and that's the secret. And that's Romans 16, 25, and 26. The preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest. See, there's some information that God kept secret, hid in himself, that he's now revealing and that's what he's now doing. And what this does is this all just brings us to man's greatest point possession and that's the scripture because your greatest possession isn't your husband sorry ladies or gentlemen your wives really sorry gentlemen or your children or your car or your boat or your gun or any of that your greatest possession is the word of god our create think about this our creator has spoken and his words are recorded for us in a book that he preserved for us. And it's through his book that we can now know the truth about his plan and his purpose for his creation. God has placed great, profitable things for us in his book. 
But in order to get the profit out of God's Word, we have to do what? Study it God's way. And that's 2 Timothy 2.15. Our great, think about this verse. Folks, we must discover and follow that divinely established design for studying God's Word. And when you hear people out there in Christianity say, blah, 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 da, 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 oh, yeah. we took three weeks to go through Paul's epistles. Then guess what they didn't do? They didn't study. They just read them and talked about something. See, you and I, we possess, we have to follow that. 2 Timothy 2.15 is that. Go, go, go look over there. We, I ain't going to let you out early today. You're, you're stuck. 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Our great aim is God's approval. I don't know if you think about that. I don't know if you've thought about 2.15. Our great aim, the great aim of ours is to have his approval. But have his approval as what? Not spiritual blessings, not complete, because that's ours in Christ, but the approval of being a student, of being a, a workman. Why? Because our great duty is a first word, to study. Our great goal is to be that workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And our great requirement is rightly dividing the word of truth. So the great aim is God's approval, and the great do, our duty as student is to study, and our goal is that workman that should not be ashamed, and the requirement is how to do it all, which is rightly dividing the word of truth. Your, God's approval of your study, see, that's what we're after. That's what our focus is, rightly dividing the word of truth. By the way, it's not Bible chopping. It's not destroying the book. That's a cop-out by religion because they don't know how to answer when you have clarity and they have confusion. By the way, it's not simply separating truth from error. By the way, that's what you know. the new Bibles say, properly handling you know what properly handling is? Separating truth from error. That's properly handling. We don't do that. We what? We rightly divide. We put the division marks right where God has already put them. Rightly dividing the word of truth is separating truth from truth. It is recognizing the divisions and the distinctions in God's word that he himself has placed there. And those divisions are called dispensations. <gasps> Bad word. Ooh, booga, booga, booga. You know what? But you understand what a dispensation is. It's a dispensing of information, isn't it? You're in 2 Timothy. Flip back to uh, Ephesians 1. I mean, you just, you just think about it, this. Ephesians 1, verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, that word dispensation, a particular program that God is administering or dispensing for man's obedience. And we all understand that. You go to the pharmacy, and what do they dispense to you? Your meds. You need your meds. Get on your meds. Right? They give you whatever you're after. Actually, I went up the other day looking for a Mucinex D because of the allergy mess going on. And they're like, well, you, you're back too early. I go, I ain't back early nothing. I got a wife at home that takes more... And they're like, well, no, you can't because the government says. I go, you know, some rule about something, making drugs out of the stuff. I'm like, so i got to wait another week, you know, which is okay because I'll just take the other. Just I'll be <laughs> all the time, right? You understand what a dispensing, giving out, okay? Now, a fun one. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and just watch this. Genesis 1. Genesis 9, Leviticus 11, 1 Timothy 4. No problem. Genesis 1, verse number 29. Genesis 1, 29. God tells Adam and Eve, he says, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat. What are they? They're vegetarians. God dispensed to man. That, you know what, man? You know what you're going to eat? You're going to eat the garden. You're going to eat the greens. You're going to eat the fruit. You're not going to eat meat. You're not going to go get the deer. By the way, Cain and Abel show up. Guess what they're eating? They're eating the garden. They're eating the, 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 vegeta the vegetables. That's what they're eating. 
Come over to chapter 9. Chapter 6, 7, 8, you have the flood, Noah, on the ark. Chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 3. Noah and the boys and his family come off. Chapter 9, verse 3. The Lord tells them, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Guess what they can go do now? They can go hunt. Actually, they have to go hunt because God's commandment to man was to scatter and to fill up the earth and get it all back to population. And how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to have to go after the animals to feed our belly to get the meat because the greens isn't enough anymore. Now we can eat meat. So guess what? Now when I go over to the brook, to the river, and I, before I would drop, I would go down there and look, and the, the rainbow trout would come up and say hello and talk to you and go, bruh, 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 bruh. now you go over there, and he comes up, sees you, and takes off the other way. So now you got to go catch the dude. you got to go cast a line in there. You come over there, the deer used to come up, meet in your, out of your hand. Now the deer's running from you, and they have migration trails showed up to get man to do what? Go migrate, fill up the earth, scatter. Now man had other ideas, and now you come over to Leviticus 11. So, so what is God dispensing here? Food. You're going to start by being a veggie, vegetarian. Now you can come over here and eat the meat that's eating the vegetarian food. <laughs> you know, the animal, okay? So you can now you got to go into all those memes, all right, okay? See, you, what is God doing, though? He's dispensing information, Leviticus 11. The nation of Israel. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts which are on the earth. Verse 3, That ye shall eat. The end of verse 4, He is it unclean unto you. Then you got unclean. Verse 7, The end, He is unclean. Do you think there's some food out there that they can't eat? So now we've got God dispensing information to man about clean animals and unclean animals. Do you know that an unclean animal was a pig? So now we can't have bacon. Now we can't have ham. Now we can't have barbecue. Can't have any of that because it's unclean. Now, unclean in what manner? Not in a healthy manner because it's all good for you. It's all good. Bacon fixes everything, okay? It's setting Israel apart, so, but there's a dispensing. That's the point. Now, come to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 4. The Apostle Paul says, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be received, I'm sorry, to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. Now what can we do? Now we can eat our, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't eat shrimp. Oh, man, good old, good old shrimp. Now you can. 1 Timothy 4.4. 4. You see, folks, the divisions in Scripture, God put them there. I didn't make these up. I just read verses, study it out. He dispensed information that way. And the greatest division, the greatest dispensing is between prophecy and mystery. And in prophecy and mystery... The, the great dispense, and, and we're going to get into this going forward, prophecy. The people of prophecy is the nation of Israel. It's all about the nation of Israel in the realm of the earth, planet, the earth. And the law is the operating system. So the people is Israel. The sphere of operation, the realm of operation is the earth. And the operating system is the law. So when I read my scriptures and that's on the board, where do I know I'm reading? Prophecy. Mystery is the body of Christ. Where's our home? The heavenly places. And what's our operating system? God's grace. Simple little division. Nothing earth moving. Nothing shattering until you do what? Start getting in the weeds and then it's all shook up. But if you and I 
The study of the Bible can only result in hopeless confusion if you fail to recognize the necessity of rightly dividing the word of truth. You follow that. It's so, it's so simple, it's crazy. But it's so eternally profound that it's just wonderful. Little group. By the way, unclean food, clean food. Eat it all. So let's go to lunch. Get the steps. Be that right student. We got the right book. We got the right study. And we're focused in the right place. We're going to ask our questions. Who, whom, and when? We're going to deal with it literally. We're going to compare verse with verse. And we're going to study it dispensationally. And that dispensing mechanism is where we're going to be looking at and moving forward. Okay? When you do that, when you get to the, again, this is simple. When you do that, you know what happens to this book? It becomes alive to you. It becomes real to you. It becomes everything to you. And then what happens is, is then you start listening to other people and you go, man, how in the world could I have been listening to that for so long? You didn't know. Now you do. So what do you do? You put off and you put on. <gasps> Ooh. And put on, put off. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for the study of your scriptures, of your word, that you laid it out in a simplistic manner, the wisdom of your, your wisdom, your mercy, your long-suffering, your grace, so that just the feeble minds that we have can grasp and to know the love that you have for us. And to come to understand all the things that you've prepared for them that love you. And we can rejoice in it. We can give you the thanks for it. And we can go day by day and serve you in our lives where we're at, doing what we're doing. And we can serve you to your honor and your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.